I think I'm with you on the in the same boat when it comes to Oklahoma. Like, I think Texas being Texas has this like aura about them. You know, it, it's the it's the you know we got all the money. We're the kings of everything. Don't do horns down at me. That's offensive. Um, whereas Oklahoma's just kind of just really good at everything or most everything. And it's kind of quiet. Uh, their fan base seems to be quiet about it. I, I wonder how much that will change once they get into the SEC, though. But, like, they don't seem to have a rep. Like, that's – that. and I think Texas draws a lot of that out of them, you know? Like, the, like they, they, they look saner by comparison. And, like, Ole Miss is so tightly wound. I almost said whitely towned, and that would have made no sense. Like, they are, they are like, a less successful – more chaotic Auburn, like in terms of their athletic programs, you know, Ole Miss, as we're recording this, they're in the middle of the college world series. Um, like if Ole Miss wins, um, I believe it's the first men's national championship they've ever won in a sport, like where you have to win a title, like you have to win a game to claim a championship. I think they claim some old football titles, you know, pre-championship game era, and me especially pre-pre-integration, it's it's hard it's hard for me to like really take those super super seriously. Um, they won a women's golf title a couple years ago, or last year maybe. Um, so yeah, Ole Miss, it's like they they they've just gone full out. As for Oklahoma, it's like yeah, they're Oklahoma, and it, it just seems that just seems to be kind of the perspective. But like, I'm with you. I, I don't have an opinion positively or negatively on Oklahoma. It's just they're. They're a superpower that you don't really have much of an opinion of, which I think is kind of rare in college sports. I think of my friend Tip. He went to Oklahoma. So I hope Tip's happy if Oklahoma pulls this thing out. That would be wild if they did. If they get it at game three and pull it off. Like, OU, like, they're just good at a lot of things. And just, they just keep it going. Because, like, Ohio State definitely has a reputation. Texas, even though Texas doesn't have nearly success, they have the, the grandeur of it. Um, you know, in football, like Clemson fans quickly got their reputation when they started winning. Um, you know, it's just, everybody's got that. And I mean, maybe folks who are listening that live closer to Oklahoma may have a different opinion, you know, that, that may have a little bit, some more entanglements. I I just think though that Texas, Texas absorbs a lot of that hate, a lot of that, like everybody's like, Oh, Texas is a problem. Texas is a problem. Or as Oklahoma kind of gets a coast. And in my opinion, um, they get to coast and actually be a whole lot better at Texas while being their main rival. Like there are a few sports where Texas can own an edge to them. I think baseball was one of them for a while, and here here they are. They both made it to the College World Series. Texas was, I think, the betting favorite heading into Omaha. They get out early, and here here's Oklahoma in the in the championship series. How does the dynamic between South Carolina and Clemson work? How many? states have a program where the flagship school isn't the dominant one Mm, that's a good question because there's not a there's not a ton of those in the first place right you know like i think the peak of the powers of like florida florida state and then you can even throw miami in there kind of on equal playing fields Clemson turning into and like South Carolina's never been this like really good program, right? Clemson being super powerful there for that stretch, and you know they they took a step back last year, but I think they're still going to be really good um, as a program. Yeah, I mean that's you know because it's either it's either the the flagship school's got a you know a, a large advantage over the other one, or it's even. 
right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm just going through my head right now and I'm trying to think of if there are any examples, right? Cause you know, even in these big States with a bunch of different, one of these schools, the premier school, the flagship school, the university of is pretty, pretty solid in that, in that regard. I mean, California feels like its own thing, you know, like it's a, like it's its own area, but like, I don't know. I, I really don't know because, you know, USC is a private school. UCLA is not. I, that may be the only one that makes sense. Like, And even still, I don't know how much more dominant. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, I guess Southern Cal has certainly had times where it has outclassed everyone in that state. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't think of an but, example. But, you know, Cal yeah. Berkeley, I don't. You know, yeah, I think no. of Aaron Rodgers, right, wrong, or indifferent. When I think about their football program, I think of I think of Marshawn Lynch driving yeah, the golf that, cart around. That's actually better. That's really what you would want to be remembered I, for. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 going. I'm trying to go through as many in my head right now, and it's like you're either pretty equal, like in Auburn and Alabama, or there's a big gap, right? Like a like a Georgia Georgia Tech or a Tennessee Vanderbilt or a. I think that's pretty much the big difference. It must be eating like, at the South Carolina fans, but I don't really know any South Carolina fans, so I can't ask them this. Like I feel like, like I feel like Virginia, Virginia Tech is probably one of the like, and like you would say, like at times Tech, you know, in football, Tech's got a, got more of a history. But then you look at the other sports; it's like Tech famously has never won a national championship in anything, and UVA has several actually, and they've got some sports where they're really, really good. Um. Yeah, I mean that's 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 interesting. Like, I think Clemson, South Carolina, might that might be the only dynamic that exists. I have never thought of that before. Oh yeah, I'm smart. Wow. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless and Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello. How many games do you think that Virginia Tech leads in the series over UVA? 10, 20, or 30 range? 20. Nice guess. Virginia Tech leads 60, 38, and there's been five ties. They've only played that many times. That seems low. I guess, what's that, 130? That's 100. It's 100. Yeah, never mind. I mean, I guess it's just I'm, I'm conditioned to like the Alabama, like the, the Auburn-Georgia series where it's like, well, yeah, they played that. They played that when the sport was first invented. Of course, it's going to have a lot of a lot of numbers on it. I believe, if I, if I remember correctly, I believe Virginia, part of the reason why uh, Auburn-Georgia is called the Deep South's oldest rivalry is because the South's oldest rivalry, if I remember correctly, is Virginia-North Carolina. That sounds right. And, like, they've played a little bit more. So, like, Tex, not even their most played rival, I don't think. And, of course, Auburn's um, Auburn's uh, has been. Yeah, North Carolina, Virginia um, has only been played, has played slightly more frequently than Auburn, Georgia has. So, um, hmm, interesting. The more you know. Uh, we've got quite a, few, quite a bit to talk about here on today's podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Uh, we got some basketball we want to talk with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler from the draft on Thursday night. Uh, there's some football we want to tackle towards the end, but we're going to lead off with, since it's the last since the last time we recorded, uh, Auburn baseball has bowed out 
in the College World Series. Um, right now, Ole Miss and Oklahoma are playing each other uh, for the uh, in the championship series. Ole Miss won on Saturday. We're recording this on Sunday while that game's going on. Uh, but the Tigers getting a win, first time since uh, since 97 that they won in Omaha. We had Bennett Durando on last week's uh, show, last week's Monday show, yeah, and previewed that, and he predicted that he thought Auburn would win uh, and, and send Stanford home. That held up. And then the Arkansas game just on Tuesday did not go well for the Tigers, but even still... I think one of the things that has stood out to me the most throughout this run and what the job Butch Thompson has done is that the program keeps making strides forward. You know, it's not like, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a bad thing by any means because it's not, but it's not like, so like, you know, when Gus Malzahn was at Auburn in that first year, they, they reached the pinnacle that quickly. And then it's like, by comparison, you know, it's hard to maintain that. It's hard to keep up. Butch Thompson has the program continues to move forward. You know, they they make it to the College World Series. They make it to a um, you know, they make it to Omaha with this with this incredible run, this this uh, the run they have. But they didn't win there the last time they were there. This time around, they not only make it to Omaha, but they do so hosting a regional for the first time in over a decade. They get back to Omaha and then they get a win. And it's just you see that steady progress which is a great sign for a coach and a, co- and a coaching staff and a program. And then there's more to go get, right? You can go, like, make it to the championship series. You know, make it, you know, win it all, potentially. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Auburn can't do it. They've got a lot of challenges up against them in baseball, for sure. And we've talked about that with the with the scholarship issues and the recruiting things that just kind of come with the territory. But, like, I mean, Mississippi State won it last year. Ole Miss is on the verge of, potentially went in it this year and they were the last team in the field. I know they were preseason number one, but they were the literally the last team in the field. Like it's just the way it goes. Like have a really good team. And then it's baseball, you know, it, it's baseball. It is a sport where since there's so many games, there's so many variables. It's not always necessarily the best team wins. It's, it's a weird sport. Weird stuff happens. I mean, look at it. Look in the MLB um, this weekend, the Yankees are the hottest team in baseball. They get no hit by the Astros. You know, out of nowhere, and yeah, that's just it. Just happens. You know, you could be the you could be on fire, and it's just that's just the way the sport goes. And so, uh, yeah, you pay like a lot of success for this baseball team this year. A lot of uh, a lot of memories, a lot of great moments for this team. But as I think, kind of the vibe after the game from you know the interviews I heard and and read about, um, they're like, man, this could be just we're just getting started. Like that, and, and that's the right attitude to have for sure. I mean, Butch Thompson came into this thing saying, "Hey, why not go win the national title?" They still have that, and I think, I think with him, I think they've got as good a chance as they'll ever have of getting to it. An emotional return for Freddie Freeman. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a. Uh, I, I I legit think that Freddie Freeman was held hostage. No, I I think he's. Looking, I think he looks back and hates how it was, how it all went down, you know, that it that it went down the way it did. I'm not saying he wishes necessarily he was still in Atlanta, um, but yeah, a really emotional return and and a guy that obviously like loved his time there. Um, sorry, pal. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know who you're. I don't, mm, 
you you kind of made that like and he always you know he'll always be a great player and always you know but like there's a part of me that when i watched it i was like yeah but you you, you chose this you could have stayed <laughs> like you you could have you could have stayed but you know you mean he made this choice on his own yeah you know he took less money uh and you, you know and in a state where you have to pay more taxes i just that seems smart i don't know um but uh yeah i uh I, I just remain impressed by this by this baseball team, and um, yeah, I don't know how you feel uh, about them, but like, there's so many obstacles away and there's so many challenges, but the fact that they keep getting there, and I think it's just one of those things when you see Ole Miss make it to the final, when you see Oklahoma make it to the final, it's just like, hey, just get there, just get there. If you get there, and you get hot at the right time, that's what happens, you know. And and, and you might be able to make that run. You might be able to to win it all. And I think with Butch Thompson and what he's got rolling at Auburn, they've got just as good a chance uh, to do it as as they ever have. Not unlike with football, where I would like the team to get the ten wins more regularly, but not many teams yeah. can do it. Right? I mean, we'll talk about that in a moment. Yes, put a pin in that. That's right. You know, with baseball getting to Omaha, it's going to be hard for Auburn to win the conference. Not they could never do it. However, getting into the field and participating at Omaha with some consistency, certainly more than we had before Butch showed up, would be nice and a really nice way to. Because then there's, you know, as silly as this sounds, good vibes. You know, you can like, if, if you go into it with the realization that like you're not likely to win a championship very often but you know you can be you can be glad that you won 10 games that you made it back to omaha there's a sense of consistency you played deep enough into the year that you probably created some some fun memories through some of the games that were played uh as a fan like that's mostly what you can ask for and if you're doing things like winning 10 games a year if you're getting to omaha you're putting yourself in a position to at least compete for a championship yeah, I think there's I think there's levels of that in every sport, right? I think for for Auburn, I think like your best case scenario that you can hope for and wish for, I think is for a fan is like win double digit games a year or around that mark, which double digit games a year is going to put you in title contention pretty much every year heading into November, um, and be fun and like be entertaining. I think basketball, it's in the SEC, be a top four seed, make it to the second weekend of the tournament, be fun. Baseball, it's you know get yourself in a position that you can be, you know, host a region, which is hard to do, but like get in the field, be fun, like, um, and, and give yourself a shot. And I think, you know, you can't, it's about like managing success, something or expectations of success. Again, something we'll talk about here in a little bit later, but I, I think this baseball team, you know, they're in a really good spot to do it because on paper, Auburn shouldn't have this kind of success, right? You know, they were picked to finish last in the SEC West, they have to really, really, really rely on these in-state um, recruits because there's only so much they can do recruiting out of state. They got to, they've got to scout and they've got to develop at a higher rate than some of these other teams. Uh, you you have to go find the Sonny Desheras. You have to go find these the guys from the from the West Coast JUCOs who are willing just to get a shot to play SEC baseball and just say, hey, they fit what we do. We think we think there's something there, and roll with it. Um, it is Moneyball, as we've talked about a lot during this run. And Butch Thompson, I think, you know, not only has earned that, you know, rep 
But, you know, this program, they can always do more. You know, they can always get more in terms of facilities. They have upgraded the facilities. They've upgraded the, the, the ballpark experience. I think, um, you know, it helps having guys like Tim Hudson, who are, you know, not only program legends, but really good former MLB players working with you and, and, and teaching it. Like, I think that's a key. You know, we talk about how good Auburn's staff was this year. Their 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 um their bullpen, especially in the in the postseason, and that run they've had with like Casey Mize and and uh, Tanner Burns and, and some of these other dudes. They've got this really good. And Thompson is a pitching guy. Like that's his that's his DNA. But like it also has got to help to like one of the best pitchers of his era is teaching these guys. And that's something that's a little extra. We talk about Auburn's star power not too long ago, where you know Bruce and Bruce talked about it after the draft, you know, in, in, in leading into the draft is like, you know, Auburn may not be able to claim all these championships. Some of these other schools have, but man, they've got star power and that star power usually loves Auburn and they want to stick around. And in the case of Tim Hudson, stick around to the point that he's, that he's helping coach. And I think that's a, that's an advantage. That's an edge that you're going to have to have because you're going to have to develop. You're going to have to do all these things to get over the top. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think baseball. You know, with football, you can just say give yourself a chance, but the window is so small because of the games you play. Basketball, it's like you know, one and done. Once you get into the tournament, you have a little bit more leeway to get hot at the right time. Baseball, it's just like, hey, get in, get a high at the right time. Again, I'm uh, beating a dead horse here, but like Ole Miss is going to end up being the perfect example of that if they end up. I think they already are, but if they end up winning this, winning this thing, it's like they were the last team in the field, and they could be, they could be, you know going the whole way another Auburn legend does Charles Barkley make a good assistant basketball coach we know he loves Bruce Pearl but Barkley routinely talks about how he's never worked a real job in his life and I don't know the hours of being an assistant coach may not jive with what he likes to do which is apparently golf fish and gamble I don't you know yeah. I, like I think he would I, enjoy being around think... the program I don't know how he would do yeah. duties Barkley as a player and up and I mean throughout his career, obviously he's he's had a great TV career. He's an awesome talker, right? And I think what he does is perfect for him. I don't know if necessarily the coaching like Barkley. You know, like if early in earlier in his career he's like, hey, I want to get a coach, but I think his style and his personality and his and his just his whole demeanor doesn't scream coach. It's like what he does, and it's a talking head, and and and. You know, usually that I usually use that term derisively, but it's not in the case of like. Well, he's actually you know, we, good at it. Like, it's just genuinely extremely really entertaining. Yeah. One of the funniest people Nathan I King think was, on the Na- planet. Nathan King's campaigning for the draft to get switched over to TNT. Could you imagine the T- TNT? Oh, and, the you know, they would argue about who's going to be a bust and who they like and don't like, and. Uh, Instead, you have instead you have Kendrick Perkins up there, like acting like he's watched any of these guys before. Yeah. Like when he started talking about the kid from Baylor who was who came off the bench at Baylor, Jeremy Sochan, like who, who's a really good player. He came off the bench at player uh, at Baylor. I'm like, dude, you didn't. You, <laughs> you may have watched some clips to get ready for this, but like, don't act like you know you know this guy. You know, uh, but I, I yeah, Barkley, Barkley's an interesting. I could see him case. doing a lot of sitting down. During the practices, only getting up to go talk shit to to people, like, and then just going and sitting down, like, dog. Yeah, just just having yeah. a good time, vibing. 
Uh, I think that would be, I think it'd be a good, uh, I think he's in a really good spot. I do wonder though, like, yeah, who the next, cause we keep seeing it, you know, I, I, Barkley and Hudson are, are stars. These guys were, you know, some of the best to do it. And I, we have seen Auburn football players come back, obviously Cadillac. I think Cadillac's probably your best, best example of this. Um, but you know, you guys got like Zach Etheridge and, and, um, you know, others that are on the staff that, that have come back and coached uh, for Auburn. You know, I wonder. I think how like I you guess know, every I, team I has one who, right now. You got Flanagan with basketball. You already mentioned Cadillac mm-hmm. and Etheridge, and of course Hudson. And that's uh, hadn't thought about that. That's yeah, a it's a good thing to have, and I think that's going to be one of Auburn's edges moving forward. And and it has been for a while. It's just like you know, if you if you recruit these guys and 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 have this environment and this vibe where people want to come back and want to celebrate, you know, being a part of this program and being a part of this community and this school. You'll always have that have that that resource of that. But I guess final thoughts on baseball before we switch to basketball. I just really impressive team. Um again as 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 a guy who doesn't cover college baseball and and leans on it by the way, I'll also add, you know, we had Bennett on, we had Adam on to talk baseball, but that whole crew that covered, you know, the Omaha, uh, run and then, um, you know, just uh, go dating back to the regular season. Um, we're some really, really good stuff covering this Auburn baseball team this year by the whole beat. So, uh, I always tell folks to, to support and, 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 uh, read and, and listen to those guys who do a really, really good job of it. Um, I found myself just kind of just, you know, again, as a guy who doesn't cover baseball, reading a lot of Auburn baseball stuff this year because there was a lot of good stuff by, you know, our two guests that we mentioned and then so many more on the beat. Uh, so commend them. I know it's been a long year. It's been a long athletics year. Um, and that was, a, you know, getting all the way into the end of June talking um, talking Auburn athletics. And then, hey, media days is in a few weeks. Which um, we are excited but, uh, about, folks. There will, there will yeah, be uh, takes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll remember this team – um, you know, this one will always stick out, obviously, for the run they went on. But then, you know, it helps to have a guy like Sonny D, who is just oh, he gives your team character. A, yeah, and it's just a whole lot of fun. And I, I hope he, he still has an opportunity to come back. He still could, he still could play another year. Be interested to see what he ends up doing. Um, but I think he's going to be one of those guys that if he does go to the pros or whatever he does and gets and gets drafted, I want to keep a close eye on him just because. He's a fun dude, and I would love to see him playing in the majors one day. Uh, I think he would be one of those guys that whoever got him once he got to the pros, be a really, really, really big hit. Any any, any final thoughts from you on on baseball? Would like to see the sport carry some of the momentum into next year. I mean, you know, it, those that's a nice park we've got. Uh, hopefully, the crowds are good, and you know, maybe a little momentum sustains some of the success they've had the last couple of seasons. I, I do think there are going to be more folks next season at Auburn baseball games, you know, hanging out at the deck, hanging out behind the fence, going to the game. I think they're going to be able to capitalize on this uh, because this was a team that was fun and, you know, it converts more people. I think basketball did that a few years ago with their first run with having multiple years of success search. too. you know, gymnastics has definitely done that, uh, you know, hoping hoping personally that women's basketball can get back to that because there have been some points where women's basketball, they had a couple scouts this season, didn't they? Yeah. I I think, and I I think they've got the coach to get it done. Obviously softball had their run like that as well, but these, these sports where it's easier to be a spectator, Auburn soccer, another great example. 
that you know get this sustained success going and yeah Auburn fans you like to you like to boast that you're in everything school you like to boast that you're a fan of everything um and I think I think folks are really backing it up and even if you don't know a ton about the sport or you haven't followed them for a while um people just hop right in and just say hey Auburn's playing in it let's go to war <laughs> you know that and I think I think men, I think the men's basketball especially the the social media presence the mob I think has lent it lent itself to that and it's cool to see that bleed over to other sports as, as well and I think that'll continue uh moving forward speaking of the social media mob speaking of uh Auburn basketball um Orlando what's up well, what happened? Do we there? have any reasoning? But like, it did seem like they were leaking that they were locked in at Jabari, yeah. and then it just wasn't okay. that way. And the betting lines had started to move, but I was just like, huh, well, maybe my Vegas is just trying to spread its money evenly. And then it's like, oh no, they know. First something. of all, first of all, Adrian Wojnarowski needs to be investigated for his ability to manipulate manipulate betting markets. Uh, we'll go. We'll go. I'll go into that in a second, but. Uh, yeah, in case you just have no idea what we're talking about, uh, Jabari Smith goes third overall to the Houston Rockets on Thursday night's NBA draft. Uh, Walker Kessler goes 22nd overall, I hope I got that number right, um, to the Minnesota Timberwolves and a pick that was originally owned by the Memphis Grizzlies. There's some shuffling down there in the back of the, back of the first round. Uh, and He's going to be a wolf, a timber wolf. Uh, that'll be a fun team. Uh, I'm interested to see what his role looks like there. So, Orlando, so Jabari Smith, we did a whole podcast on Thursday where it felt like, okay, everything pointed to Jabari going one overall. Like, that was their guy. You know, they had been reporting for weeks and weeks that this is where it was going. And then late overnight, I mean, we recorded that podcast on Tuesday. It was like Wednesday night, late, late, late Wednesday night. There was some betting movement for the number one overall pick that Paolo Bancaro was picking up steam to the point where he had closed the gap with Jabari, if not moving past him in a couple lines. Some books took it off the board because it was like, you know, this is, you know, kind of going crazy. No one had reported anything. Like, no, it was kind of rumors. It was kind of hearsay. And the thing is, is with folks that are gambling um, and, and, and experienced sports bettors and all that, and the ones who lay the heavy money, um, you know, they – they do this for a living for a reason, right? Like, so there seemed to be actual momentum to it. Um, Thursday morning rolls around and Woj reports, Hey, everything is going to be one, two, three. Like we thought Jabari Smith, the one at one Chad Homer at number two, Paolo Bancaro at number three. It got to the point where I saw a couple books had, had Jabari up to like minus six, 6,000, which if, if you don't know your betting, uh, betting parlance, um, you would have to bet $6,000 to make $100, right? Um, so you'd have to throw that down to, to turn that into profit. So it's mo- monster odds. Right before the draft comes, Woe starts kind of, and others, uh, I think Shams is also on it as well, where it was like, okay, there's some real momentum that Bankero is going to go one. And then right before the draft started, it's like, yeah, Bank- Bankero is going to be the number one pick. Um, and then it happened. Paolo Bankero went number one overall to the Orlando Magic. At number two was the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder, apparently, and this was something when they thought Jabari was going one overall, that they had been locked in at Chad Holmgren at number two. They saw 7-1, the wingspan, the shooting ability, the ability that if he you know rounds out his game to where the reasons people think he can be, he could be a unique player, a unicorn type of player in the NBA. They were locked in there. So they passed up on Smith at number two. Number three, the Rockets. 
Rockets take best available. That, of course, is Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith's going to Houston. You asked for an explanation. Um, the, the the best thing I saw for this was, was explained this way, because Jeff Weltman, the president of the Orlando Magic, said, hey, um, when you're playing poker, you don't show your whole hand. I would also argue... If you know you're not playing poker at this point, if you have the number one overall pick, you're basically the dealer. You control what everybody, everything else happens at you know past you. Um, the best explanation I've seen online, because I, I you know I just I still don't a hundred percent get it, but the best explanation I've seen is this: there were talks that it was like, okay, the magic kept leaking, you know, Jabari, like smoke screen for Bankero. They didn't interview him. They didn't have a formal workout with him. Didn't seem like it was even possible. But apparently behind the scenes, they were doing all their due diligence to get Bank Arrow. Basically, it was going to be like, hey, we're going to say we're going to take Jabari at one. And we know some other teams may think Jabari's the best pick in this draft. But on our board, it's Bank Arrow. And so what you do at that point is saying, okay, we'll say Jabari at one. And if you want Jabari, if you really, really want to get Jabari, maybe we can entice somebody to trade up to us so that we can get a pick out of it and still get our guy and then an asset. Say, for example, the Thunder really wanted Jabari. Uh, you know, they, they apparently were, were set with Holmgren. But say if the Thunder wanted Jabari, they could say, the Magic could say, hey, if you want Jabari that badly, we'll give you a pick, we'll, we'll let you pick one overall and let you take Jabari, but we'll take your second pick and give us a little extra. Same thing if the Rockets wanted to do that. Because in their mind, they're saying, hey, we want to get Bancaro. Um, so if we play that and just say, okay, well, we know Smith's number one on, on some people's boards that didn't work out because here's the thing about trading the top pick or around the top. Pick. It's really hard. You have to convince people to get, get rid of a lot of assets and like change a lot of work really quickly, um, in order to make that happen. So that's the best explanation is that the magic maybe wanted to play it to say, Hey, if you want Smith, maybe we can try to snag an extra asset out of it when nobody bit. It's like, all right, we're going to take our guy at one. Um, so that's what they ended up doing. The Thunder, like I said, seemed pretty locked in on Holmgren, although I think that would have been a really good landing spot for him. They were set. Um, all the reporting I've seen about the Thunder before the draft, after the draft, was like Holmgren, Holmgren, Holmgren. So they, they stayed the course there. That's how Houston ends up with Jabari Smith at number three overall. Um I, not bad. Like honestly, like everything you wanted to accomplish coming into the draft for Auburn, besides being the number one overall pick, still happened. He's still the top pick ever in the in the draft for Auburn, uh, because Chris Morris and Chuck Person were four overall. So he still made history that way. So first ever, you get a top three pick. He goes to a Houston team where they're like I I I said for a while that I thought Oklahoma City was the best spot for him. SGA, Giddy's breakout. They've got Dort. They've got they've got a number of guys that I really really like, and they're a good franchise um, that is trying to make it make their way up back up. Orlando has pieces, particular like part of the reason why I think the Orlando thing's so weird is that like Bancaro looks like a dude like Bancaro's big thing and why people have picked Bancaro over Smith is like well Bancaro can get to the basket. He's a better dribbler. He's a better playmaker. Right? He can get his own shot more reliably. And my thought is to like, okay, you have, you have like four point guards on your roster. Like you're playing all these dudes at this point. Are you going to get a ball dominant forward for that? 
That's neither here nor there, though. They think that he's the best guy, so they went with him. Uh, Orlando has pieces. I think Houston has pieces. The only thing, like, Houston's in a bad way. Like, they were the worst team in the NBA this past year. But they were children, like one of the youngest teams in the NBA, if not the youngest team in the NBA. And then they just traded one of their other, um, one of their older guys that they really liked in Christian Wood, that was kind of being their their centerpiece to Dallas to get another pick. Um, I guess I guess my whole point is this: Houston ends up being a better landing spot for Jabari than Orlando would have been if 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 the guy Auburn tried to land a couple years ago turns out to be the guy they think he could be. And that, of course, is Jalen Green. If Jalen Green, like, I think Jalen Green has a higher upside than anybody Orlando has, like, pre this draft, because he was the number two uh, two overall pick, because he had a good, good strong finish to his, to his rookie year. If Jalen Green becomes top five player kind of that dude like you know what you would expect from a top two top three pick um and i say top five player like live up to a top five pick thing then houston ends up being a better spot because you've got another superstar coming with orlando it's like okay maybe jalen suggs gets it together you know he didn't have a great rookie year maybe a couple of these pieces really start to take off houston though it's more like hey you're gonna get a lot of opportunity and maybe the dude next to you is gonna be really really good and so, uh, you know, that's a long rambling way of saying, like, this could end up being better for Jabari. And it's already better for Jabari because he's going to a place that wanted him compared to a team that, you know, obviously didn't have had their reservations. But I also think it's really funny. And, and you know, after that, it's like, oh, is, is Jabari going to go? Is Jabari going to play with Chuma in Orlando? Oh, he's going to go play with Chuma in Orlando? And now it's like, no, 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 no. He's going with the other Auburn legend, Jalen Green. <laughs> And I, I think that I think that was a funny a funny twist there that that's where he ended up. That's right, Jalen Green, lover of Auburn, Auburn icon. Uh, who who could forget his his great career <laughs> wearing the that's orange right. and blue? Seeing Scoot Henderson, it's early, so that order is going to change. But seeing Scoot as the number two prospect in the upcoming draft is a real if, knife if twister. If it's, if it's Jabbar, like. Say somehow the Rockets, like, because I think the Rockets are gonna have another tough year. Their their team's made up of teenagers. Um, yeah, they. Uh, by the way, I made a lot of Rockets fans mad on the internet the other day. Um, NBA Twitter's crazy, I, man. They are well, and Rockets Rockets Twitter's crazy too. Um, but I I said, man, they need a center, and it's like, well, Alperin Sengun is like their guy, and it's like. Yeah, I guess. Like I looked at his stats and was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that that's who they want. Like that's one of their building blocks moving forward. Okay, cool. Um, but anyway, um, very funny that Houston I, was just like, we love SEC players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that draft. By the way, I too, mean, I'll, you can uh, squint and see. You know, you can given what I saw in Ty Ty Washington is a very good player. Obviously, we know Jabari mm-hmm. and, and Tari Easton. Like that's. Seems yeah. promising. Yeah, no, I Houston needed like Houston's defense was really bad. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well either last year, but they shot it a lot. And so it's like if you're not good at defense, why not get a guy in Jabari that can switch and play anything defensively? Tari Eason was one of the best defensive players in basketball last year. Uh and then Ty Ty Washington, I think, is a really good athletic guard that move around. And then all three of those guys can guys can fill it up. It's been uh, a while since we talked about out. Will Wade, so gotta Shout, Shout him out. out Will Wade. 
Uh, shout out to Atari Eason, though, by the way, at the draft wearing the Atari necklace, which I thought was cool. And then the, this uh, this uh, nugget of information by the by the draft broadcast, his mother nicknamed him Peso uh, growing up because, quote, his shot was always money. I love that. <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I'm all in. The Rockets are going to need some time for those to be big. But look, if 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 Jabari Smith and um, Jalen Green turn into the guys that they are projected to be, and then guys like Tari Eason and you know Ty Washington and Kenyon Martin Jr. and and um, uh, see Josh Christopher's there. Uh, I feel like I'm blanking on like one big one. Uh, there is another junior that I'm blanking on. I'm so sorry, Rockets fans. Um, if, if all those guys click. So yeah, you could see where that team could be pretty good. Like you could see where they do that kind of rebuild, where they get a bunch of young players and turn it loose. Like that's a really good way to make it all happen. That there's countless examples of that in the NBA. Um, but yeah, Jabari's about to go in and where he's going to take a ton of shots. He's going to get plenty of opportunities to score because Jalen Green got plenty of opportunities to play and score last year. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He, he that automatically makes him space a lot better. The Rockets are trying to play kind of like a five-out system, maybe four out with with Sangoon down low. But um, yeah, that spacing with Green and those guys, pick and roll, and Jabari's going—I think Jabari's going to get a ton of kickout opportunities in, in Houston. Uh, and also, like, I'd rather live in Houston Better than Orlando. Food. I don't know. Yeah, there are people. Uh, Kendrick Perkins was uh, was saying like, just go to Turkey Leg Hut. That's correct. Like you you, you do that if you're in Houston. I would say. Uh, his side of town, like they were asking about Texas barbecue recommendations. Killens is not too far from. Uh, it's on that side of Houston, basically. So shout out to Killens. Go get that beef rib, Jabari. Give get, get you some extra weight, bulk up, protein. That'll help you. Um, I, I you know I again wanted him to land in Oklahoma City if he wasn't going to Orlando. I, I think the, the 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 talk with Houston and then what Houston ended up doing with the rest of their draft was really good. Um. It could end up being a much better situation than Orlando. I think that hinges, though, on Jalen Green, which I think will be fun for Auburn fans to watch because it's like, oh, yeah, you almost had that guy, kind of. I mean, the the G League took took that from you. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, Jabari, I thought, handled it well. He's not going to lie. You know, Bennett was – Bennett Durando was at uh, was at the took draft. took a phenomenal photo. Like, yeah. Oh man, that's an incredible photo um, with the framing of him and, and Bankero, Jabari and Bankero. You can tell like it affected him. Obviously, it does. You know, there's it's impossible for him not to. And then it just immediately kind of channeled that to yeah, it's going to put a chip on my shoulder because he thought he was the best player in the draft, and I think he was the best player in the draft, and a lot of other people did too. Well, I mean, did, you know, that's why he told us you only worked out with two teams because I think he was only considering those the two realistic places to be. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody thought Bankero was going top two, much less number one overall. That was not something until like right before the draft. That was not something that that was not something that anybody was expecting. Um, but and then also because of the way the the way that this always works out uh, in the in the scheduling of it, summer league first team the Houston Rockets play in summer league is the Orlando Magic. The second team the Houston Rockets play in the summer league is the Oklahoma city thunder. He gets to go right after Bancaro and Holmgren right off the bat in Vegas. And again, it's summer league, you know, 
there it's pre it's it's the preseason to the preseason in the NBA. It's 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 just the unique kind of kind of young guy basketball that they get to have. But that's going to be fun to watch because you know he's going to go in and just pull the trigger as much as he can. He's going to be looking to smoke so. those guys. Yeah, and, and that's 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 his that's his style. You know, that's his that's his personality. That's his that's his demeanor on the floor, and he's going to go after it. Um, Walker Kessler, though. Let's talk Walker at 22. Really good spot for Walker. Um, kind of thought that after the lottery, the 20s were, is where he was re- widely projected to go. I think once we started getting out of the playoff teams, out of the lottery, this is where he was in that range. 22 is a good spot. Um, I think that kind of makes sense for where he w- where he was supposed to land. And he goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who had made a trade earlier in the draft with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, hilarious to see that uh, <laughs> Walker has to shake the hand of the commissioner wearing the Grizzlies hat. He's got to go answer questions about the Grizzlies where everybody in the world knows he's not going to the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, so that's always fun because, you know, people were asking about that. It's a league rule. Those those trades don't get made official until later. Uh, and uh, so the day after, the Timberwolves get to say, hey, we had our guy. Um, so that's why you didn't see that kind of over, you know, the, the pomp and circumstance that came with Jabari going to Houston from the Rockets, as you did with, with Walker until a day later. Uh, Kessler landing in a situation where um, it was like when we talked about in our preview podcast, you could either go to a place with an aging center or you could go play to a place with a superstar center. And that was kind of the range of picks unless it was going to like fall randomly to that, that late Rockets pick that they had. And Kessler goes to the Timberwolves where – he will play behind Carl Anthony Towns, a number one overall pick. He will play with Anthony Edwards, a very fun former number number one the overall Georgia pick. The Georgia boys. Yeah, the the Timberwolves getting to the playoffs through the play-in tournament this past year. It's been probably the least – it's them or the Kings. I go back and forth with the least successful NBA franchise of the last 20 years. Um, they <laughs> – before this past year, the Timberwolves had made the playoffs just once in the last 17 years. Um, just a desolate place. Things don't really work out in Minnesota ever uh, for, for those teams since Kevin Garnett left. And it's a really, I, I think it's a really good landing spot for him because he's he's going to be kind of the guy behind Carl Anthony Towns. They have Nas Reed. They have, um, I think they have some other options at Big Man. But one thing about Carl Anthony Towns, love him, great player. Um, not necessarily the most engaged dude in the world on defense, kind of more of an offensive minded superstar. I think Minnesota in getting a backup that is known for his rim protection. I think that's part of it. It's like, okay, well, when we don't have cat on the floor and we don't have his offense, well, at least we need to be really good on defense and like, and, and take that step up in that regard. I'll be interested to see what Walker ends up doing, but I mean, there's minutes to get, uh, let's see. Carl Anthony towns last season, uh, played, uh, according to basketball reference, played about 33 minutes a game, 33 and a half minutes a game. So that's 14 and a half minutes that you can play uh, at the center spot if they maintain that. So, again, not a massive role, but a role uh, that looks looks to be a good spot for, for walk. And, um, whereas we talk about Jabari getting to go to Houston and the climate there, uh, Minnesota, very different. Very, very different. Uh, I think Minnesota people point out, hey, it's warm there right now. It's like, yeah, right now. Um, 
little bit of tidbit of information I didn't know. Apparently, uh, the Kessler family, um, at least some part of it, is originally from Minnesota. So there's some there's some connections there. Uh, and uh, Kessler, we obviously know with his um, his family and Lake Martin and all that. Lake guy, Minnesota, a really good place to <laughs> place to go if you're a Lake guy. Uh, per capita, so we'll what state hat. has the most seven footers? Minnesota seems like they might feed their boys well. I'm trying to think where tall dudes are from. This is off the this is off the cuff. You said per capita. I'm gonna go. Yeah, it might be Minnesota, dude. Like, especially if they get to claim Kessler now. That's where Holmgren's from. I just think like my other thought was like that or like Oregon or like Washington State. And my whole thing about that was like Paul Bunyan, mm-hmm. lumberjacks, tall mm-hmm. guys. Like the big, like larger than life. Yeah, I'm thinking the Midwesterners have the hefty, like guys in the six foot five to six foot seven range that are girthy. But I think that the mm-hmm. tallest gentleman may come from Minnesota or the Pacific Northwest. And everybody in New England short. That's my thought, right? Everybody from New England short. I'm not going to fact check that whatsoever. Um, yeah, good good landing spot for Walker. As I said, I'll be very interested to see how he how they want to use him. Uh, apparently, he has a, he's adjusted his three point shot. That was something that Bennett uh, wrote about at the draft in Brooklyn. Bruce Pearl seems very convinced that uh, he's going to be a a good three point shooter in in, in the NBA, and uh, be interested to see how he develops that. Because I, I think so. There's so many big men who develop that shot and, and expand on it. And at least, at least Kessler has that foundation. That's something that he did in high school more. Didn't get that opportunity a ton in North Carolina. Did not shoot particularly well at Auburn from deep. But it's part of his game that it's not going to be completely outrageous to him. Uh, he, he'll be able just to pick up and go. Uh, so two in the top 22 for Auburn. Two first-rounders for the first time ever. They accomplished a lot of that history. As I wrote on Friday, though, at the Observer. And you can check it out if you haven't yet. Um, I thought the draft, as historic as it was, you know, you had Auburn in Times Square, and it was like, uh, you know, Bruce was talking about promoting the program that way and how cool that was. I, my th- my take from it was huge night, historic night, successful night, like, you know, go full on and 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 celebrating at Auburn because you should. It did kind of to me the thought I had in the back of my head, and Bruce kind of put some more voice to that in the in his in the interviews at the draft was Auburn still got more to prove and I think they get and, and by that I mean it's not saying that they haven't done enough they've been the best team in the SEC they've they've had all these accomplishments they're putting dudes in the draft but like I think there's a rep and I think there's a there's a thought like Auburn is still trying to like gain more respect nationally we t- we've talked about that from a polling perspective we talked about that from like a general like national coverage perspective of Auburn basketball but like look at the top three in the draft Jabari Smith was widely projected to go one overall he didn't he got picked third who are the two guys ahead of him Paolo Bancaro and Chet Holmgren the guys who are one and two as high schoolers you know, coming coming out of the the class of twenty twenty one, they just swap places. You know, in in the draft order, um, where did they go? Duke. Duke had four first rounders. We talk about how historic two was for Auburn. Duke had four the other night. Gonzaga almost had two, um, because Andrew Nemhard, who you know originally transferred from Florida, um, was the first pick of the second round, so he was very nearly a, a first rounder. They would have had two 
first rounders in like three out of the last four drafts, three out of the last five drafts or something like that. They're blue bloods. Bruce making a point that they did not out recruit blue bloods for Jabari. It was Tennessee. It was Georgia. It was LSU. It was teams like that. Um, they're still fighting the blue bloods. They're still fighting that kind of uh, that kind of shadow, I guess. And I'm not again. Hear me say that like Auburn has obviously done so much that they deserve a lot of the accomplishment, a lot of respect. But when you see Jabari fall a little bit. And you see Walker as as the best defensive player in college basketball last year, as one of the best centers in college basketball last season. Like he was like the fourth center that went off the board, maybe the fifth. I can't remember all that uh, at this point. Again, there's always reasons for that, and this might be a little bit too orange and blue lenses, but to me, that looks like, hey, you're still trying to fight for respect. You're still trying to you're, you're still trying to like, hey, we're from Auburn. And we should be, we're swinging with the Giants and we should be treated like that. Whereas I think in reality, Auburn still is fighting against that, fighting against the Blue Bloods. They still, quote unquote, don't belong, right? And I think that feeds into their attitude. I think it feeds into the fan base attitude a ton. And you play off of that. But I think you see some real world application of that once you get to a thing like the draft. And it's like, while Jabari Smith was the best freshman in college basketball last season, and he's got this, you know, he's one of the few players ever. Coming out of coming out of college or he, heading into the draft that has shot that well at his size from three point range, he's got to be the number one pick, right? Draft night comes along, it's like, nope, it was the number one and the number two guys in their high school class, and it was the two guys that went to two of the biggest programs in the country. Sorry, Auburn, you're third. Sorry, Jabari, you're third. Like, I, there's some of that vibe I think that still exists. You know, of course, those teams have their reasons for why they pick those guys, and, and recruiting rankings are really good for a reason. But like, I guess that's the thing we talked about it with baseball painter. Auburn basketball has done so much and accomplished so much, but there's still more that you can go climb. There's still more to go out and get. And I think we're seeing, I think we saw some of that on, on Thursday night. I saw some fans of other programs pointing out that Auburn only had the third and 22nd pick in the draft and that it was a very embarrassing sight for Auburn to not have the first pick in the draft to merely have the third pick in the draft. And to them, I say, you're right. Uh, there were some there were some really good prospects at other SEC schools that fell in this draft. There's one that a lot of people would like to mention right now. I'm not going to single out the kid. But there was a guy that was a five-star that went second round. Went even further back. You know? And again, Auburn had their own spot like that last year with, with Sharif, but... A whole lot different situation than what happened with Sharif and what happened uh, with another point guard that played basketball in this state. Um, well, there's the dunk. Yeah. They have the dunk. They have the dunk. They have the dunk. And look, I I hope he's successful because he's a kid from Alabama. And, like, I'll always ride for, for in-state recruits to, to, you know, end up doing well and, and going on and having good NBA careers. Getting picked in the second round, though, kind of makes sense, even though he's a five-star point guard coming to high school because it's and so much of a shot in his career, and he relies a ton on his athleticism, and didn't even start very often at, at, at his high school, but or his, at his college. So, yeah, I, there was a point in the draft where Auburn had had as many first rounders as the SEC did as a whole. So, like you'll you'll live with that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the people are the 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 fans of rival schools that were trying to dunk Auburn. Oh, you oh Jabari didn't go number one. It's like yeah, but he went number three. <laughs> like, like, 
Yeah, I think I mean, our, our friend Drew is updating the uh, the amount of money he's set to make, and it was like around forty four million for the first overall pick. It dropped yes. to like thirty nine million. Oh God! <laughs> it's like, oh no. Best of luck to those guys. I'll be interested to watch. In the, I, I'm always interested to watch Summer League. Always kind of catch it and kind of keep an eye on it. It'll be even cooler to see some Auburn players in a little more prominent spot. As Bruce pointed out the other day, there could be quite a few Auburn it, players. It really will League, make so. watching the NBA a new experience for me if they continue to put one or two guys in the league every year or every other year. And I, and I think it's better. I think it's better if you – and you can say that after the fact since it didn't happen, but – I think it's better that, you know, they're all not stockpiling on one team. Like, you know, Chuma and, Chuma and Jabari playing together. I know a lot of Auburn fans have gotten hyped for that, especially ones who owe you who are Orlando Magic fans. You'd been really cool. And I think there would have been some more Orlando fans of that. But spreading it out a little bit, you know, Isaac and Cleveland, you get Jabari in, in, in Houston. We'll see, you know, how, how it goes with Kessler in Minnesota. You've got JT in, in Charlotte and Sharif in Atlanta and and. Jared continues to bounce around trying to find a spot that'll keep him for a while, but I, I think a guy like him will always have a have a job somewhere. Um, I think that's better than necessarily condensing, because I think for me it's like if you're an Auburn fan, you want to get into the NBA more if you want to watch it. Like there's a bigger bigger net, you know. I don't think the Houston Rockets are going to have a ton of uh, have a ton of nationally televised games next year, but they might in a, might in a couple of years, you know, and and you might see. Cleveland almost made the playoffs this year, or they got into the play-in tournament. You might get to see Isaac play a little bit more frequently. For those of you who don't have a league pass, like it'll all end up working out. And then, yeah, who's next? You know, maybe we um, got to save the uh, the deep dive for another point later in the summer. Right. But a Treyor deep dive and and what expectations should be given that Chuma mm-hmm. has exceeded, Isaac has exceeded, Jabari exceeded. You know, I mean, he's already a highly ranked player himself, so the expectations yeah. are pretty high. I don't think that they're anywhere near the level of what people thought for Jabari. There does seem to be somewhat of a gap in the expectations between those two players. But I don't know if, if the track record as, you know, it precedes him, uh, then we, we might see him uh, potentially, you know, drafted at the end of the first round. I don't, I wouldn't bet on it today, but... It's not impossible. They could very well have another one and done on their hands. They, they, I really good spot. And then I, just because of the nature of his game and the similarities to, especially around the rim, Janai Broom. Could Janai Broom end up being the next one that gets gets developed as a front court star under Bruce Pearl and then goes to the league, uh, taking advantage of the opportunity. And of course. You got Alan Flanagan coming in. You got um, Jalen Williams. I think will get some looks for sure by the league. And then they're they're smaller guys, but if Wendell Green Jr. and Katie Johnson, you know, and and those guys end up having careers where they're one of the better guards, they're some of the better guards on some of the best teams in college basketball. You'll get attention. The league will take you. Um, you might not be a lottery pick, but the league will take you. So it'll be a lot of fun to see moving forward. All right, before we finish up with some football. Let's take care of some business first. First off, I appreciate everybody listening to this. Uh, if you like the show and you'd like more of it, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer for $6 a month or $60 a year. We appreciate all of you guys who do uh, subscribe and continue to read the newsletters and listen to our premium podcast. So you get one free one a week, but you get two 
podcast a week if you pay for uh, a subscription to the Observer and you get all the newsletters as well. Three newsletters a week, two podcasts a week. It's a thing every weekday here in the off season. Sent to your email inbox at 6 a.m. Central Time most mornings. You can do that at auburnobserver.com. Sign up there if you want to give us a try. It's a seven-day free trial. You can uh, check us out that way. And we appreciate all of you uh, who uh, subscribe, like I said. And uh, those of you who just listen to the free shows might want to jump on board. There's going to be some more stuff coming up here in the next couple months as we get ready for football season and the new school year. Um, and, uh, yeah. But another way you can help us out is doing something that costs you no money at all. Painter, I'll tell you. Rate, right review, subscribe. It takes like 20 seconds, people. All you got to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, type in the Auburn Observer, click the Auburn Observer, scroll down to ratings and reviews, give us five stars and say something nice to us. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you a shout out on the show. So a lot of you right now, I'm looking at the ratings right now, 326 ratings on iTunes. The vast majority of them, almost all of them, have been five stars. You go to you go to Spotify. You can also help us out on Spotify as well. Just go to the Auburn Observer. Give us five stars there. We got a perfect perfect 5.0 rating. 122 people have ever viewed us on there. Let you see those numbers go up. Thank you guys. You see again, it's the easiest way to help us out. Uh, and uh, as Painter says, rate, review, and subscribe. Also want to shout out our good friends over at Homefield Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com, the number one place on the internet to buy premium vintage collegiate apparel. We're talking the most comfortable shirts. We're talking the most comfortable hoodies, sweatshirts, and whatnot with the best logos and designs that you are going to find anywhere for your favorite You know what time of the year it is? Christmas is around the corner. That's right. We're already on it. Christmas is around the corner. You might want to get, get, get that shopping done really early. Homefieldapparel.com's got you covered. Uh, I believe you, let's see, Washington State was the new one this week on Big New uh, Saturday. Um, so you can get Auburn stuff there. There's a ton of great Auburn stuff. Uh, some new Auburn baseball stuff that dropped in the last couple of weeks that uh, a lot of people love, including a really sweet Heather Powder Blue uh, 1980s Bo Jackson style Auburn baseball shirt. Um, you can get that. You can get the Peacock shirt. You can get a lot of cool basketball and football designs and some classic AU stuff that you won't find anywhere else. Homefieldapparel.com. Also, also, if there's a school that you love uh, or have any sort of affinity for, there's a good chance Homefield has something on there for you. We just mentioned Washington State. Uh, they've got a new one coming up here. Uh, upcoming that'll be really interesting to see what the what the reaction will be to that one. I'm not going to give it away, but um, by the time this comes out, you'll be closer to finding out who it is. But yeah, keep that rolling at uh, homefieldapparel.com. If you've never ordered there before, 15% off your first order. All you got to do is type in the promo code OBSERVER uh, upon checkout, and you get 15% off at homefieldapparel.com. Shout out to our friends up in Indy for continuing to help out the show that way. All right. Got a little bit of time left. I don't want to do too, too much on this. Um, let's, let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, let's see. What do you want to do? We'll, we'll do one of these two topics we wanted to talk about. We can talk Zach Calzada, or we can talk about the two wins. Thing. Let's talk about the let's 10 wins. Let's do 10 wins. We'll let's save a quarterback about- conversation for the dog days. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save be, the quarterback conversation. You know. And that might end up being, and that might end up being a newsletter sometime in the near future. Folks, as well. can you so believe we'll, it? We'll put a pin. He's in done that. it. We'll we'll put we'll put a pin in that with Calzada. Um, I wanted to reference something that I saw over the weekend from our buddy uh, Parker uh, Stats of War on Twitter. If uh, you don't follow him, he's a really really good. Uh, just follow for all things college football. I also was really into college baseball uh, this past time. So really, really, uh, really great follow. I would I would shout him out for sure. This was a tweet from a guy, and I know we talk about Twitter a lot on here, but come on, that's where I live. Um, this is a tweet from uh, John Cooper on Twitter. He said, uh, it was a graphic, says, when was the last time your team put consecutive years together hitting the solid 10-plus win benchmark? Um the last time each SEC program had consecutive 10-plus win seasons, Alabama, most recently doing it the last two years. Georgia did it in 2018 and 2019. Of course, COVID 2020, it was very hard to get to that point unless you were going deep in the playoffs. Florida, 2018-2019. LSU, 2018-2019. Missouri, 2013-2014. Of course, the years where they won the SEC East coming in. South Carolina, 2012-2013. We've talked about that in the past. The glory days of South Carolina football under Steve Spurrier. Uh, the glory days of Arkansas football in the modern era under one Bobby Petrino, 2010-2011. Uh, Tennessee has not do, done it since 2003-2004. Texas A&M has not done it since 1993-1994. The Auburn Tigers have not done it from 1988-1989. to Ole Miss has not done it since 1959-1960. And it's never been done before by the KY Cats. The, the Mississippi State Bulldogs and the Vanderbilt Commodores. State. Poor state. Um, I mean, Ole Miss. <laughs> if if you're like I said earlier, like if you're if your accomplishment last time you did it was in 1960s, like I might as well. Like I'm not saying it didn't happen. Of course, Auburn has the 57. Don't title get too like, excited about it, though. <laughs> don't yeah. Yeah, don't don't get over the top in your in your in your appeal of that. But uh, this is interesting because you know, Painter, we've talked about it a lot. If you've listened to the podcast. And even back to our radio days, we've talked about this a lot, and it's kind of like our calling card on here. It's, it's going like, to be hard for Auburn to win championships, you, but my God, if we could win 10 games a little bit more often, it would really make the offseason easier. People, oh, people, come on, help help me get there. It's, the, some, it's, it's more realistic. We can do it. We've got to do it. It's embarrassing that it hasn't been done. If you can consistently get to 10 wins a season around the around that mark, you're doing really, really well. Now, the conversation I had with Parker that sprung from this was interesting. It's like, man, his point was when he, when he said, he's like, wow, how much is Alabama and Nick Saban warped college football? This is cyclical. Like success in college football is mainly cyclical. Like you don't have the sustain, like we're awesome all the time. Only a few teams have ever gotten that. And it's like Alabama and Ohio state Clemson right now, Oklahoma's in the, in the verge of that. And it's like, that's kind of it, Right. We'll see if Georgia can keep it up. They're in a really good spot, obviously. But like even these superpowers, like LSU, like Florida, teams that have won national championships, you know, in the in in the last twenty years, like it's hard to get to that point. So it's yeah, it just is kind of warped that it's like no, you're not supposed to be awesome forever. It's like you you your goal is like we'll hit a peak, we'll hit a peak at some point, and then you hope you're you hope the come down is not as long, right? But the thing that was so interesting about this graphic, though, pointed out is that Auburn is, of the teams that have done it before, is the second longest drought, right? I would have not thought that Texas A&M had done it. 
I would have not thought that. You know, I know. You know, when you start thinking about it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Missouri did have that little. Oh yeah, South Carolina was good there. Like, oh yeah, Arkansas was good at that at that point in time. And so it's like Auburn has the advantage over uh, a number of these teams on this list, like Tennessee, like Arkansas, like South Carolina, like Missouri, like A and M, where they say, well, we have a national title since then, and we've been to another one, and we've had really good years, we've had undefeated years since then, but you don't have that sustain that, that sustained success, and and and. My apologies to Mr. Cooper on Twitter, but 10 win is not solid. 10 wins is like, that's awesome. Great year. Fantastic. It means you um, probably only lost to Alabama that, and Georgia if you're Auburn. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. all right. But it shows you how much of a roller coaster Auburn is, right? Because Auburn hasn't done it since 88 and 89, yet they've won a national title. They came close to winning another one. They probably should have played for another one at one point. And they had another undefeated season after that as well. And it's, so it's like they truly are the roller coaster team that the highs are really high. It's just you don't get that sustained line. And that was whole that was a whole part of when they hired Brian Harson. It was like, well, he was sustained he had a lot of sustained success at Boise State. Maybe he can bring that with Auburn's resources and talent advantage and all that. Um I just it, it's such a fascinating thought process because it's like, wow, there are other teams that have done that. And I know A&M did it when they weren't a part of the SEC. And, you know, for some of these teams, it's been a while. It's been a while. I just, we've all, since we've always said on this show that it's like, hey, if Auburn, if Auburn can win 10 wins, if they can get to 10 wins a year, you know, and this is not even just in the regular season as well. Like you can, you can win, you can go 10 and three. Like it doesn't have to be just the Georgia and Alabama game, right? Or so to speak. And what um, I said is kind of not true because all the times that Auburn's gotten to 10 wins, 17, 13, 10, most recently, they did beat Georgia and Alabama those seasons. You, know, you, like, you <laughs> lost to LSU and Clemson, for instance, but then you turned around and spanked those other teams. Lost to, yeah, yeah. So you, you need to you need to do that a little bit. Uh, you know, do that a little bit more often when you pick up some of these games against some of these other teams. I just, it shows. It really underscored just how unpredictable Auburn is, and how kind of there is no they other are. equivalent to Auburn. What Auburn has to deal no, with, there isn't. and what sort of weird no. space it occupies by being a, Michigan State is like the closest right. in terms of like what they sure, have to go up against. But like the results haven't been as cons- well. Consistent's not really the right word not, to use for not, Auburn, but still, I think you pick up what I'm saying. They the highs yeah, aren't as high. They're not playing for titles. Um, and they're not near. Well, the other thing is they're not near the talent. Like like Ohio State when Ohio State does really well in recruiting and Michigan as well when they do really well in recruiting, they're not just getting dudes from Ohio. They're getting dudes from everywhere. They're going down to Florida. They're going out of Georgia. They're going to Texas. They're going to California. They're they're just getting guys. Kudos where they to are. Michigan State for making it to the playoffs before we did, and also kudos yeah. to them for sending us to the national title in twenty thirteen. Yeah, and uh, State is in that spot. We've talked about it before. It's like Mel Tucker is doing what I think Auburn is hoping to do here in the near future with Brian Harson, where it says when you hit a reset button and you change the culture of a program and the identity of a program from what it used to be, and there were successful years, man. Like, it, you know, the D'Antonio – the ending of the D'Antonio area wasn't necessarily covered in glory, but like he got him to a playoff. He got him to the big 10 title games before like state has been very competitive in the past, but what he was doing, what he inherited and what he's trying to turn Michigan state into is very different than what it has. So it's like 
It's kind of like the thing with Harson. It's like what Gus Malzahn did. It wasn't like it was flat out terrible. It wasn't like there weren't successes. It wasn't like there weren't weren't accomplishments. But it's like you have to you have to do that a little bit more regularly, right? It would be nice um, if eight were the floor, and, right? And then, and then you, you were getting to ten with more frequency, and you're changing. And the in the case of Harson, the case of Harson and Tucker, it's like you're changing things. You were doing things differently than the previous regime. There were successes. There were, you know, were times where, you know, people and people still liked what, what the good, what good came out of it. It's, can you pull the trigger in year two, which is what Sparty did right now. They are recruiting really, really well for, for wh- what they are. And I think even though Tucker has more of a sec recruiting background than Harson has, like, I think that's what Auburn's trying to do here. It's just, can you do that more frequently? It's like South Carolina did it. Arkansas's done it. Tennessee's done it. You know, in the time, and you know, Missouri, Missouri took advantage of the fact that Florida and Georgia were both down at that time, comparatively speaking. But, um, it's, you know, I've always, I, I guess it's well, one of two things. It's one, it's like where it's where we say like that's an attainable goal, like you can go get it. This, the second thing is, is like you look at these the the times that it's happened. It's like, oh yeah, it is an attainable goal. Look at how many teams have done it in a lot lot shorter of a time than you have since since it was the last one. So like, it's out there for Auburn. You know, it's tough. It's difficult. It's not easy. It is. It is sustained success, great season, celebrated seasons. But you need to. You need to. You can actually go out and do it because if some of these schools can do it, you know, in this in this amount of time, Auburn. It'd be nice not to have gulfs of four and five years, where you have a nice season, ten wins or more. You know, it's better than never having them, right? Like it was. A huge deal for Ole Miss to get to ten wins this year, because it's just something that program hardly ever achieves. Nonetheless, like yeah, uh, no, it, just stringing together a couple of ten win seasons. <laughs> Come on, give it to me. Yeah, that seems like that we talked about like what what the next spot for success would be for Auburn baseball and Auburn basketball and like what that is. You know, we say that it's a good expectation to hit. It's not Alabama. It's not Alabama where if you don't win the national championship, you know, they think it's a lost season. No, you're not going to get to that point. <laughs> like it's 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 a tough spot to be in and it's a tough spot to attain. Um, but if you get to that point, it's not easy. But Auburn well, I think LSU is a good yeah. example of a program that you know they've cycled through some. They're roller coaster yeah, as well, but they've had some. They've, they've cycled had some runs. through some coaches, they've had some runs but more like they frequent. are routinely coming in second in the West. It'll be interesting to see what this Texas A&M program does that power dynamic but you know i mean nine ten wins a lot of years for them you're right there are some seasons where it dips uh, but I, I think their baseline over the last 15 years has been higher than auburn's has been most mm-hmm. seasons yeah, and if auburn no, can find a way to get more into that realm you know i again not sure how likely that is given what Texas A&M might end up doing. Like, I, I'm not convinced that A&M is going to just start winning lots of SEC West I'm not, titles. Yeah, I'm not. But they may I, make I'm it not harder to, to get to 10 in. wins. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to just embrace the, the eternal kingdom of Texas A&M football. And then LSU yet. is just always going to have the talent. So I, how Auburn combats those two programs, certainly the, the money is there for those two programs. And I, you know, I'm, it's hard yeah. to, it's going to be hard to out-talent Louisiana and Texas. It is. It is for sure. But Auburn has proven that it can it can 
get up there. It's just about getting up. And again, it's not like it's not like say, all right, now win, now win three straight SEC West titles. It's like, can you do two? Can you do two ten win seasons? Can you can you get back to back? Which if Arson is able to be the coach that does that, and the first one to do that since Pat Dye, that'd be something. And I think whoever ends up being that coach that does that, whether it's one down the road or if we're still talking about this twenty years from now. I think whenever it happens, it doesn't like even if it's just two ten and three seasons or ten and four seasons sprinkled in there, you shouldn't be like, ah, well, huh. it's like no, 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 that's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. Should be celebrated as such. It's just not a national championship or an SEC championship, maybe in in some of these cases. And I know that's that's uh, those are fighting words when your rivals are as good as they are. But such is life. Such is life. Uh, if you're if you're in the in the Auburn football uh, landscape. All right, I think we'll say like we said. I think we'll save the Calzada talk for later because we're already at uh, well over an hour at this point. Um, that'll do it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, newsletters out this week. We've got a few coming up. Um, some basketball, some football, a research project project I, ter- I talked about a while back. Uh, not a, too far a while back. I think a few days ago. Honestly, last week. I might have mentioned it on the Premium Pod either last week or two weeks ago. We'll roll that out this week as well. Uh, And we will be back later in the week for the Premium Podcast. If you are a subscriber, auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. Sign up there. Tell your friends if you're already subscribed. Tell your friends even if you're not subscribed and want them to check out the show. And if you enjoy it, uh, that'll do it from us. Painter, final thoughts. What nickname do the stadiums of Clemson and LSU share? Mm. The Swamp. <laughs>